I don't have a big um, introduction, John Cole. Yes. Um, I met him for the first time yesterday, and he probably met me for the first time sure. yesterday, but sure. we're glad to have you here from New York City. Yes. Brooklyn. You um, got it. So we will turn the time over to John. Let's have a word of prayer before we turn the time over. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for your presence with us this evening. We just ask that you would just uh, speak <laughs> through John this evening to our hearts, and I just pray that you would just bless him. Whatever you have laid on his heart to share, that you would just give him full authority to share. And we just allow you to speak through mm -hmm. him as you see fit. We just want to commit him to you this evening. I pray this in your name. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Amen. Thank you. Well, good evening to each one. It's good to be here and to worship with you all. Lift up the name of Jesus. After all, if it wasn't for Jesus, we might as well go home. Amen? Oh, really? Amen. 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 All right. Well, uh, who remembers what we uh, talked about last evening? Shout it out. Yes, the issue of hurt, responding to hurt. How do we respond to hurt? Anyone remember um, any of the points we made? There you go. Yes, hurts are inevitable. Jesus said, hurts will come, they're bound to come, but woe by whom they come, or who, woe to whom who causes them, right? And so we want to be a people that um, try not to hurt each other because, because our motivation is to, to try to love each other like Jesus did, right? That's right. So the issue isn't trying to avoid hurts as much as learning how to respond to them in ways that we find healing, in ways in which we are able to forgive one another. Which, in ways in which we can be agents of, of healing. Um, and so this evening, I want to look at the issue of fear. Because what happens is when we get hurt and we experience uh, hurtful situations, maybe we weren't hurt directly, maybe our best friend or, or family member was hurt in a very difficult relationship conflict or church issue, uh, sometimes we take up offense with them and for them, don't we? And, and so hurtful, hurtful situations just hurt, whether you were directly or indirectly involved. And so that's why it's important for us to be able to respond to these situations. But then what happens then is we become scared of each other because we then view each other as a potential case for conflict or a potential case for hurt. Does that resonate? Does it sound about right? I think that's right. Uh, and so, um, you know, we do find ourselves uh, really being afraid of each other. The, the thing is, I don't think we think about it in those terms. I don't think that we go to church or go to family reunions or, or go to the grocery store 
and think, I'm a f- I think I'm going to be afraid of the people I see. You might have other ways of, of, of talking about it. You may be like, ah, I don't really get along with that person. Or every time I talk to him, it seems like he's contentious. Like I can never, he's never agreeable. Or the last time we spoke, um, you know, we had this disagreement. I just hope we can uh, avoid that this time. Um, or whatever the case may be. But I think at the heart of it, a lot of times we're afraid of each other. Um, and so I think we want to try to put terms to that and um, talk tonight about how fear is destructive in relationships and how we can respond to that as well and how we can overcome that. So turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and the first 14 verses. So Paul, again, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and and in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gifts of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So I'm going to keep reading, but I just want to draw your attention. I want that phrase to stick with us as we go through this this, uh, session this evening. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Which, uh, excuse me, but I am not ashamed 
For I know that what I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, this is Apostle Paul addressing Timothy. He's mentoring him in church leadership. But I, I want to be clear that these principles here are for all of us. And uh, Paul, Paul is calling Timothy to guard the deposit that was entrusted to him, to, to, to guard the calling that God has placed on his life. And what we need to be thinking about this evening is that we've all been called to be children of God. We are all called to some level of ministry as a part of his body. Uh, in fact, as, as his body, our goal as individuals should be to minister encouragement to one another. And so many times we find ourselves looking for ways to be ministered to. And we can give those desires to God and say, God, would you fill me through my body? The body, we should receive edification in the body, but it should be our goal not to be ministered to, but to minister. Because we have been given apostleship in Christ Jesus. We have been given this, this great gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are ministers of this gospel in one way or another. And if tonight you haven't thought in that terms, I invite you to do and urge you to do so. If you are chosen to be a follower of Jesus Christ, claim that responsibility, claim that opportunity. You are an agent, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ in one way or another. And certainly we are to each other within the body of Christ. We should experience the fruit of the gospel of Christ through each other. Amen? And so this is what Paul is calling Timothy to. And he starts out and he says, you know, I want to commend you for your faith. And I'm sure that it's growing just like it did in your mother and in your grandmother. And so he says, fan into flame this call which is on your life to step into church leadership and to care for the flock. Fan the flame. And then he says this amazing statement. He says, do this because you have not been given a spirit of fear or of timidity. But you have been, we have been given a spirit of power and um, of love and self-control or a sound mind. We've not been given a spirit of fear to where you face difficult situations. People are difficult. We are just difficult. It's just how it is. I am sometimes, unfortunately. But don't let that stop you from walking in the call that God has called you to. Because that's not the spirit that He's given us. He's given us a spirit of love and power and a sound mind to think clearly and to be self-controlled. So that's the call this evening. I hope that puts a little fire in our seats because that's a great thing. 
We don't have to be driven by fear. God hasn't given us that spirit. And so that's, that's the hope. That's the message tonight. And so we're going to dis- discuss, discuss how, why this is important. Why we should uh, move forward in love. And why fear is destructive. Before I get into it, I'll tell a quick story. And, the, and I want you to understand, the purpose of the story is illustrative, but also hopefully, uh, as, as, as I'm vulnerable in sharing a personal story, it will encourage you to be vulnerable in sharing your stories as well, because we just have things in our lives that are embarrassing and they're just not so stellar. But we need to talk about them sometimes. So um, my wife and I were at an, a youth event, and I really don't even remember for sure if we were married or not yet. We were maybe engaged, I think. And we were at a, we were supposed to be a, a, a youth camp out, and the weather was bad, so we found this great big vacant farmhouse, and we just all crashed in this big, it was in Pennsylvania, right? So these, all these city kids, we come out to go camping and get to crash in a farmhouse. So um, that's really not the point, but that's the setting. And um, so I'm, uh, I'm a type of guy that when I want to go to bed, I want to go to bed. I'm tired. And, um, and so, but as a young person, you know, younger, um, I, I thought, well, if I'm going to bed, I think it'd be cool if everyone would go to bed. <laughs> because, you know, I don't want to miss out on the fun or whatever. Well, so I go to bed and I'm laying there and I hear people talking outside. So I... Like, hmm, and, oh, did I hear Anlin's voice? And uh, so I look out the window, and sure enough, Anlin's out there with a group of people that they decided not to go to bed yet. And um, they're just talking and laughing and having a good time. And uh, it wasn't just her and a few other girlfriends, it was her and some other girls and some other guys. And we're engaged to be married, and. I, was, I felt insecure. She's out there having a good time without me, and there's other guys, and she's having fun with them. And um, I didn't like that. And um, so I, I, I lay down and just try to go to sleep. And I just, oh, the more I think about it, and the more I hear them laughing, the more irritated I got. And this is just ridiculous. Like, why don't they just go to bed? Like, and I started spiritualizing it. I'm like, these, you know, they're not wise, they're being, they don't have good discretion, and they're just, you know, uh, really unspiritual, really. And so, <laughs> and finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I got up, I went out, I just acted cool, you know, just joining the group. <laughs> and, uh, well, I step in there by my girlfriend, and they're there. Why are you still up? Yeah. And I, because I went to confront why she's still up and let her know it's bothering me, and why don't we go to bed? And, and, uh, and she couldn't get it. Like, what? what? I'll go to bed when I'm ready. <laughs> you know, like, and... And then, and then I'm, like, getting irritated that she didn't think that that was a great clue. Like, and I eventually just went to bed deflated and uh, mad. Well, what happened there? 
Well, I was scared. I, had their, I, I responded out of fear. Well, what was my fear? Well, my fear was that she didn't value my friendship and that she valued other people's friendship more than mine, enough so to stay up and be with them while I go to bed. I feared that um, she wasn't loyal to me and that she could enjoy other guys' friendship and laughter and fun and not mine. I was jealous, and so I feared uh, that that was happening. I feared that she wasn't as wise of a woman as I thought she was, that she didn't have discretion to go to bed on time. Well, that might not have been my initial fear, but that became one of them as, a, as I worked myself up, right? And so then I entered into the situation in a way that felt unsafe to her. It didn't feel safe for me to come out as her fiancé and indicate to her that I was uncomfortable with her enjoying her friends. And uh, plus it, it felt confusing. And so um, that's an example of, of, of what happened and how things can happen in our relationships and how fear is not helpful. And so we had to talk through that. And I had to come to a place of admitting that um, I was unreasonable. In this cartoon, the wife says, why do you always get defensive whenever I attack you? That's for laughing purposes, but you know, in a way, um, that's how we... You know, and he's, he's probably thinking, well, because I'm scared of you. Uh, and so I'm going to respond uh, defensively. I could protect myself. And so that's kind of how these things go. All right, so what's the nature of fear? The nature of fear is to, uh, it's, it's a self-protective emotion. So think about fear as an emotion. And um, it's, Tomorrow morning we're going to talk about anger, but it's like anger in that uh, it's like a warning light on the dash of our car, and uh, it indicates that there's trouble, and usually um, with fear, the trouble is something is unsafe, and so I, I didn't feel safe. I, I felt insecure that my wife was out uh, enjoying her friends and especially other guys being out there. I didn't like that. Um, it didn't feel safe to me. It didn't feel, I felt my, like my, our relationship was, was insecure at that moment. And so uh, this light went on, on the dash of my car. And, um, and I didn't stop to, to really process what, what was going on. In fact, instead, I put my focus on, on, uh, on Inland and, and, started distorting the story. Fear out of control is when fear controls you. So all these emotions, uh, we can talk about numbers of emotions, um, when, when they become destructive or harmful is when they're out of control. And so fear out of control is when it controls you. Um, so fear is, a, is, is not a bad emotion. Um, but it would be a secondary emotion to something that's deeper going on, right? To warn you. There's apparent danger. 
whether real or perceived. So we're going to talk about four effects of fear <clears throat> and uh, why it's destructive, it's not helpful, and what, uh, how fear out of control um, affects situations. So number one, fear disables peripheral vision, causing tunnel vision. So what do we mean by that? Well, <clears throat> when uh, I realized that Anlin was out hanging out, that's all I could think about. I could only think about that situation. That's all I could hear. That's all I could see in my mind. Right there. And I'm fixated on it. I couldn't evaluate the situation objectively. <clears throat> um, I could only evaluate it subjectively. And so I couldn't process objectively enough to think, well, duh. Of course she's hanging out with her friends. They're the same friends that we hang out with, that, that we came to the camp out with. Um, I was just fixated on the, on, the, on the fact that I wasn't there and that I was missing out. And, and it just became this fixation and the story started to evolve in my mind. We become laser-focused on the object of our fear and how we feel about it. And so um, we need to be aware of that. When, when we become triggered by a situation um, or something that someone said to us, right? Um, or, or you think about how of a certain uh, hurt or certain situation uh, maybe, maybe even like, let's think of another example. Um, let's say your uh, fathers, your daughters come to you and say, <clears throat> Dad, I don't know about this thing about dressing modestly. Like, I think we got it wrong. The red lights go on in the dash of your car, Right? Can you have that conversation with them? They're, they're dealing, they're asking a question, right? But that's going to trigger, what are you going to be, what are you fearful about? Oh, you're fearful that they're just going to, to drop all the principles that you've taught them. You're fearful that they're going to become unbelievers, and, and now you get fixated on this situation. You, you're, you're not really caring about what the question that they asked. They're, you're, you're, you're concerned about the results that you saw unfold in your mind already. And you just and you just focus on it, and you lost all objectivity. You can't even, you don't even, you're not even thinking about where the question came from and, and how you can interact with it. Um, that's just I just gave that example because I think we can relate to it. There's many other uh, kinds of examples uh, of, of husbands and wives. We trigger each other with uh, in different ways. So there's lots of examples. I just wanted to give a. A relevant example, I'm not trying to put our attention on that issue, um, but when, when a question is asked or a comment is made, um, you know, we, and, and, and it becomes a, an issue of insecurity for us, um, right away we're, we're, there's a fear there that rises up and we um, are not able to really hear the person, we're, we're fixated on the fear. Fear distorts our senses. 
So because you've now become tunnel-visioned and laser-focused, everything becomes amplified and magnified, distorting the actual condition of your situation. So let's say you're hiking in Alaska, and you know that there's a possibility that a bear could show up. Um, and you, you're hiking, and all of a sudden the bear does show up. Well, you're struck with fear, right? Well, rightfully so. But when you are gripped by fear, and you, um, you lose, you lose your, your senses become distorted, and you lose awareness of your surroundings, and you lose awareness uh, of what your options are, um, because your senses are now so focused, and the bear looks bigger than it actually is, the forest looks darker than it actually is, the path looks muddier than it actually is, and you see no way out, and you're gripped by fear. So, um, because everything becomes magnified. And so, in this situation uh, with Anlin and I, <clears throat> That's what happened. I got fixated. It be, the problem in my mind became magnified. It got so intense that I had to go address it. Um, and so uh, when we lose objectivity and we get focused, we lose, uh, our senses become distorted, and uh, we are not able to assess the situation clearly. Um, the third, um, actually, I, I uh, have another point on this, right? Let's see. Actually, I think I wasn't even keeping up with my, um, with my, my points here. So it's, it's, it's easy to believe that the thing that you fear is more deadly than it actually is. So in relationships, this is when we misunderstand other people's motives, words, and actions. We had somebody uh, apply uh, or inquire about sending their uh, son to our, our school. We have a Christian day school there uh, in uh, Brooklyn. It's a ministry of our church. And we had a mother come and um, inquire about her son attending. Well, um, we have certain things that we require of our students. Um, and there was a particular situation with this young man, but he didn't meet a qualification and he would have had to make a lifestyle change. Or, a, 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 yes. And, um, and the mom's response was, you know, we'll try to work with you, but, you know, the Bible says we shouldn't be a stumbling block to, to little ones. And we don't want to, you know, I'd hate if, I don't want to make my, my son stumble. Well, we felt like that was a little bit manipulative, um, but we understood the concern, and we didn't want to make anyone stumble. It was just a simple thing that we, um, actually, I had to, I'll just tell you, had to do with the length of hair. We, we, we have you know, if you're going to attend school, your hair can't be on your shoulders um, and, uh, for the guys. And so um, and that, he, he wasn't in compliance with that. 
So, um, but you know, we could have been given over to fear in that situation. So, what if we stick to this? Like, what if we don't bend on this? Um, what if she brings a lawsuit against the school for us wanting to enforce our policy? Um, and then, what if this, and, and what if this in the, in, in, in the racially ten, tense climate, what if, what if this becomes a, a thing that's blown out of proportion and you know, it becomes a, a, a racially discriminative situation and we just, you know, could have been really given to fear. Um, so that, those are the types of examples that we face in life. It's not only in interpersonal relationships, but it can be in, in organizational situations too. And so we had to pray. We did lots of praying over that situation. And God gave us a way to respond in love that was very, it became redemptive and it was, it was beautiful. But uh, we can misunderstand each other in these situations when we just give in to fear. The third point uh, is that fear can isolate and alienate. Because fear is dealing with the issue of safety, we tend to do whatever it takes to find a way to feel safe again. And so um, I, that's what I did. I got out of bed, and I went, and I thought if, if I could urge my wife to go to bed too, I would feel safe again. And I just couldn't uh, go to bed with, with that uh, hanging over me. So we typically uh, respond with either flight or fight, um, both of which are, of course, harmful in relationships. So we, in our effort to feel safe again, we either run from the situation, avoid the situation, or confront it. We either shoot the bear or we run away from the bear, right? And um, flight is when we withdraw to protect ourselves, leaving others wounded. Uh, I'm sorry, wondering uh, what went wrong. Like, whoa, what, where did he go? What, what just happened? Um, and, or we fight, we attack the other, revealing how we feel about them. Um, you know, I revealed to Anlin what I, how I assessed the situation, and that was very confusing and hurtful. Um, this becomes hurtful to the other person, and they no longer feel safe around us either. Okay, the fourth uh, effect of fear is that fear starves love. So, we get laser focused, we get fixated, we lose objectivity to the situation. The situation looks bigger to us than it actually is. And then we either flee or, or attack. And in that environment, love cannot exist. It, 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 very little. Love does not get passed on. And so fear starves love. We either come into situations trying to protect ourselves, like, okay, like, I don't want to get wounded by you. You know, I'm going to be very cautious uh, in how I interact with you. I'm going to make sure we avoid certain conversations. I'm going to say things politically correct so that you, you know, can't accuse me of anything, right? We're very cautious. Uh, or we're just like, you know, um, and I can't believe this is happening. And we're going to discover tomorrow that one of the, the issues uh, that can happen 
With our fears, we can be given to anger. Um, but fear uh, starves love. It's clear to see, I hope by now, that this, the fear suppresses the possibility in love and relationships. And 1 John tells us this. It says in 1 John 4, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. This word perfect means the idea of a love um, that has matured. Um, a love, and it's, the, and it's the agape love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love um, that Christ had for us. Perfect love casts out fear. That's why it says that what uh, Paul said to Timothy, we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and of power. Love is a powerful thing. It confronts the, the, the issues that trigger those lights on our dashboard. It confronts the issues that feel unsafe to us, but it does so in a powerful way, in a loving way. But fear, when we respond in a fearful way, and this is why this conversation is so important in the first place, is because they can't coincide. They chase each other away. And we want love to chase fear away, but we don't want fear to chase love away. And so uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and what whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Love overcomes fear. Our demeanor changes. We can sit and have a conversation. We can confront each other. We can. Uh, look at each other face to face. We don't have to be guarded or hide or attack. Um, when we love, we can uh, be unguarded. And I think the image of, of washing one another's feet is, uh, takes us into this. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And if I, your Lord and Master, have come to serve you, you ought to also serve one another. And it, isn't it such a vulnerable thing to take our stinky socks off and put our foot out for another to wash? Much less, uh, or how much more in that time when Jesus used this example and, in, and, illus, and, and uh, introduced this to his disciples. Their feet really were dirty. They weren't hidden in in socks. They didn't, weren't stinky from being in socks. They were dirty and stinky from walking the streets. And especially at Passover time, when they're slaughtering all the animals and all the animals around, not a pleasant time. And to, to stoop down to one another, to be vulnerable at that level with one another. That's what love can do. And we can say, yes, I will wash your feet. We can give that love. But in order to love, we, know, we need to know what it is to receive that love. And so to, to sit there and to be a recipient of that love. You know, coming here this weekend, we have received your love. And it's, it's, it takes some humility to receive that, all of your generosity and kindness. 
There's times I just want to say, oh, you shouldn't do that. Please don't do that. But I bite my tongue. Because I, I know that you do it with the goodness of your heart, with love, and I need to receive that. And we can't love if we don't first receive, because Christ first loved us. It's not that we loved him, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love casts out fear. So love overcomes fear. Same verse, but I've underlined, perfect love casts out fear. And then Romans 8, just a beautiful text. I've held on to this. This has been a life verse for me, especially after my dad died in 2013. I had to learn to be fathered by God. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so we enjoy sonship, don't we? Daughterhood in Christ. But we've, we've been, we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. The love of a father. But here's the part that we need to grab a hold of as well, is that if then we are heirs with God, we're heirs to his kingdom. And not only that, but he says, we're fellow heirs with Christ. This is amazing. It's a, that's a radical thing to say fellow heirs to the kingdom with the Son of God? But that's, who we, that's what we receive in Jesus Christ as his children. Provided, but see, here's the part that we don't want to finish reading. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So many, we want the glory without the suffering, don't we? Brothers and sisters, getting hurt, being fearful, being scared of each other, being people that we are, we do experience suffering. And I understand that if we were persecuted, 
for naming the name of Jesus. This would take on even a new level in terms of suffering. But we do experience suffering. If we're not able to suffer with one another, identifying with Jesus in his suffering, then the gospel is not taken its full manifestation and fruitfulness in our lives. There's something directly connected with sonship and suffering. But love overcomes fear. We have not been given the spirit of fear. And so how do we make application to this? Well, Christ's love is a suffering, sacrificial love. As children of God, we are called to the same way of loving. And we've seen this in Romans 8 and 2 Timothy 1.8. And I want to re- bring you back to that. I told you to take note of that when we were reading through 2 Timothy Verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. When we choose to take offenses and we respond hurt for hurt, and when we, f- we uh, implement flight or fight in our relationships, and we don't identify what the underlying issues are that have triggered us, then we are not appropriating the gospel to one another. We, within the body of Christ and, without the, and, and to the world, what they should experience from us is a love that is sacrificial, a love that where fear is not driving us, where we can enter into situations with love, and even be okay with putting ourselves in harm's way, because Jesus did, and that's how love is shown. That's when love is powerful, and we can love in the face of danger, the face of attack. The degree to which we can overcome fear with love is related to the degree with which we trust and receive Christ's love for us. So ask God to help you have compassion for people in the very places that you would ordinarily, that would ordinarily trigger fear in those relationships. Can you imagine that? The places where I would respond defensively. The places where that I, the types of relationships I would try to avoid. How could God use you to show love and compassion in that very area of the relationship? Where God could give you a vision that is redemptive and powerful. Ask God to help you see threatening questions or statements as an opportunity to demonstrate the love and peace of God in the face of uncertainty or hostility. What if I went, would have went out 
and spoke to my wife and said, hey, um, I, just, I went to bed a little while ago and I just actually just heard you laughing and uh, just wondering if everything's okay, you guys having fun? And she said, yeah, we're having a great time. Okay, great, I'm glad you're having fun, right? Like, that's great, just enjoy, just enjoy uh, the, your friends. But all would have been well. But what if even more, <laughs> I would have said, God, I feel insecure about my relationship because my fiance is out hanging out with friends and other guys. God, why do I feel insecure about that? And I say, well, I don't know, but would you do a work in my heart to trust you and to trust her? If, and would you help me just to sleep well tonight? And then leave it in God's hand. And then if I was still concerned the next morning, after getting some rest and having a renewed mind, then I could go to her and say, hey, uh, did you have a good time last evening? Yeah, it was great. And then he listened to her and not listen to my fears. And maybe she'll tell me a story of something that was funny, and then I can enter into that and laugh with it too. That's a whole different situation. But if, instead, I was driven by my fear, and it was harmful and hurtful. You may be saying, yeah, but you know, you're making that sound so nice. Like, what if I can't shake my insecurity? Well, here's the challenge. Don't project your insecurity on the other person. Give it to the Lord. Let him work in your heart. Ask God to help you work through that. And it's okay to also interact with the other person as long as you're doing it with love and not attacking and asking questions. Asking questions are so important, so helpful, because it brings out the truth. Instead of me projecting my statements or my pre-concluded opinions and perspectives, ask God to help you. To help you show. I'm sorry. Ask God to help you show just how big and powerful God is by not being threatened by real challenges people face every day. And, and so what I mean by that is there's, there's situations that are threatening to people on a day-to-day -day basis and in relationships and in conversations. But if we can demonstrate, we, we will best demonstrate the power of God if we can respond to threatening situations with love, when it doesn't wreck us emotionally and when we're able to respond with, with questions and concern, responding to the person and not the issue. Remembering who is on the other side of the conversation and speaking to them in love <clears throat> If, if every time my children expressed a concern or said something, sometimes they say things, then like, whoa, where did that come from? Got to squash that. I can't, that's going to ruin my reputation if they say that in public. Well, if I enter into that with fear, they're going to feel unsafe. 
But if I can say, you know what, they probably don't even know how damaging that is, or they probably don't even understand what they just said. And I'd like to help them understand that. I'd like to walk them through that and help them think about that. Instead of saying, oh, I don't want to ever hear you say that. Don't say that in public. Don't ever say that. Well, that doesn't feel safe, does it? Well, why? What did I say? Well, what was wrong with that? Instead, say, well, you know, I just... Actually, first, probably don't address it right away. Give yourself some time to step away and be objective. And then come back and say, you know, I heard you say that the other day or moments ago. Um, Do you know what that means? No, but I heard my friends say it at school. Oh, well... I think you probably want to know what it means. Anyway, you start to interact with the, with the situation not controlled by fear. And so our, our children can experience the power of God, the love of God, by not being threatened by things that feel threatening and entering into the situations with love. Again, I just want to leave us with this thought that love is a suffering love. And when the gospel is at work in our lives, when the transformation, transformative power of God is at work in our lives, and we're receiving the love of Jesus, and we're daily receiving the love of Jesus, then we're able to give, and we're able to love, and we're able to love sacrificially. And situations and relationships don't have to be devastating and debilitating. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that it wasn't, we don't receive your love because we first loved you. No, no. We didn't have that in our hearts. But we're able to love you because you first loved us. And Father, we, we know that you endured the cross. You despised the shame. You gave your life for us that we may have life and have it to the full. And so I just pray, Father, that we would just receive more and more of your love. That we just understand how powerful your love is. That we would not be given to fear. But that we would enter into relationships seeing the person and not the thing that we fear. And that you would help us to have a vision of ministry that perpetuates the love of Jesus to one another. Thank you that you have led the way in this. Help us to walk in your steps. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.